0: Seven,
1: please. <acceptance> hey, Seth. Hey, yeah, Seth. Seth it's hey, guys. Welcome to Fox. i the it's with Seth, with seven, three, best It's me, Seth. And we're number seven. The best guest is Dye Mack. Yes, I'm the special <laughs> guest today. <laughs> Who are you? Me. I know, but what's your name? Seth. Seth what? Eerie. Seth, Thomas, Eerie. Eerie. Charles, Eerie. <laughs> yes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Seth Erie, and I have been home all week for spring break. Yep. Yes. Mr. Dev's we- coming. And Mr. Evans is coming. Mr. Evans, I'll have you know, is his, uh, his teacher from the middle school we went to in Ohio who was kept in Very touch. Cool. Hastings. over Marco Polo for the last year. That's amazing. And is coming to visit today. Yep. What are we going to do with Mr. Evans, you think? Slope. We're going to do Slope. Yep, there's is... <laughs> <Yeah>, mm-hmm. <laughs> we did this a while ago, but there's one particular lesson yeah. on the slope of a yeah. line that Seth Erie has to memorized. Yeah. Yes, exactly, and loves it. What else are we gonna See, do? Hey Tim, hey I i for Seth. Wow, that <laughs> that was it. perfect. <laughs> Seth now <laughs> imitates his his own intro music. It's up, it's up, it's up. He uh what's so funny is he uh will listen then to the episode for i don't know dozens of times he just <laughs> i came down this morning and he was sitting at my on my chair practicing we really only have microphone. one
0: listener to the podcast it's just seth listening
1: yeah. yeah over and over and over over the exact yes all these <laughs> all these numbers are totally fooling us because it's just seth uh, uh, i wonder if, and and probably my mom you know i mean it could be could be equal measures of each shout out mom Yep, thanks, Mom. So, so, Timothy, how are you today? How's your week been? Uh, week's been
0: good. It's been a normal week. Oh. And it was I, good. Last, yesterday, my classes, we just debated education all day. Didn't even do a lesson plan. We just sat down and kids started arguing with each other, and I just kind of facilitated in the middle, and that was actually a very fruitful conversation.
1: Wow. That's good. That's fantastic. Look at you go. Teacher of young go. shaper of young minds. That's what I do. I'm a sculptor. Um, oh boy. I have nothing to say to that. I <laughs> I have some miserable musings no. today, Timothy. We don't have a song for that. That we don't need one. <laughs> we just do the price is right horn. Huh, uh. <laughs> the Debbie Downer. Yeah, the Debbie Downer music. Um Yeah, quite a week for Rockstar Evangelicalism. We had um, one of my um, minor heroes, a guy named Bruxy Cavey, who is an Anabaptist in uh, Canada, good friends with Greg Boyd, started a church called The Meeting House and wrote a book called The End of Religion that was formative years and years and years ago. Um, Confessed to an affair, with um he was counseling somebody half his age of the opposite sex and they got into a relationship and at some point you know that that very much seems like an abuse of authority um yeah. or whatever so there was that then um then there were um sexual harassment claims uh, towards mark galley at uh, christianity today Uh, which is a big deal. He has, you know, acknowledged some, denied others. Um, Then there, uh, just today, there was a huge Hillsong, uh, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Brian Houston, confessed, and I don't know, the the board confessed to instigating um, investigations around text messaging and uh, being alone with a woman in a hotel room. So that's all awesome. And then... The frosting yeah, on that cake. See, that's not even worth mentioning, unfortunately. That's so just freaking normal um, in life these days. Um, and then we got a, a picture. Uh, and I don't, you know, how do you verify this? But, but, the, but the picture was of Americans greeting right. uh, Ukrainian refugees coming into um, Poland. And the the comment was, instead of, you know, wishing them well or offering them help, they were proclaiming how all the Ukrainians needed Jesus. Yeah. And I've seen that <clears throat> sentiment played over social media. Like, even, yes. even this morning, I, I saw somebody was like, hey, this is a great opportunity for Ukrainians to repent and find Jesus. Yeah. And... <laughs> I just get fired up, Tim, over over some of that. Um, You know, the we we admit on the abusive power sexuality side that the whole system's broken, and I cannot imagine what it is like to be a Christian woman in these sorts of circumstances when so much of this uh, is just being revealed over and over and over again. Yeah, Um, and I, man. Man, I'm super sensitive to the topic too. Um, and then, then, and then, there, the sense of my Christian duty lies in just telling people who are fleeing for their lives that they need to accept Jesus.
0: And I can't even imagine your entire your country's at war, your home has perhaps been destroyed, you may have lost family members, you're fleeing for your life, and there's these folks out there that are just preaching how you need Jesus, and and then it starts to break into all that kind of the rhetoric we've covered a little bit, like saying this is God's will or God's plan or oh God is in control, and yep. how that sounds when you're in that environment, and you know the cute worship songs that people are singing on behalf <laughs> of the <laughs> Ukrainian people. I was thinking about it yesterday when we were texting that picture back and forth, and I was just like, man, maybe... Maybe no more missions trips, no more spending huge amounts of money to send a group of people to another country and then even more money to house and feed said yeah. group of people just to try to save souls or whatever. I Use the money to serve the people. Like the whole, when I was hungry, did you not feed me? When I was cold, did you not clothe me kind of thing? You know, just no more, no more missions trips. (laughs) What does it actually mean to be an ambassador of Jesus in this world? Like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. And maybe we'll get into this today. This can be your segue with what does it mean to be saved? Oh. And what is salvific language? Because I just, it just feels, it feels idolatrous, but it feels idolatrous in the fact that we're the idols. (laughs) <laughs> because we see ourselves
1: as these saviors, and oh not my goodness! As like, yeah, my daughter has a friend who is on a missions trip, and the the Instagram feeds are just nothing but photo ops, you know. And I, and and right. that's not to say there isn't good being done. It's just that you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was really clear: if you're doing your acts of righteousness to be seen, well, right. then you have your reward. <clears throat> Congrats. <sighs> so I, I mean, I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're guilty. We're all
0: super guilty, but it's like, man, as we've talked about the pandemic, this could have been a time to reassess yeah. the model, the whole model and be yeah. like, hey, it's like we you know when the pandemic hit and nobody was out anymore and all the animals came out of hiding and it's like earth did a little bit of yes. a reset button for a second. The church could have used a, a hard reset as well Yeah, for well, these things like how we're treating women in the church and how we view our role of saving everybody yep. rather than
1: helping anybody. Yep. Well, the hard reset's coming, whether we want it or not. It's Cameron. It's happening. (laughs) No, not that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so when the war started, uh, the Ukrainian uh, conflict started, um, there was an article written in Christianity Today about why you can pray imprecatory psalms over Putin. Imprecatory psalms are the psalms of cursing. You know, dash their Lord take my enemies and dash their infants against the rocks. Right. Um and and one of the things so so we have we have a friend Kat who emailed in and said, I came across this article, I'm struggling with it. Putin needs to be stopped. Yep we agree with that but is praying for violence as a response to violence really what what the route is that we should take i kind of thought that's where love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you might come into play and no i don't think i'm naive about the evil that exists in the world um as as christians whatever that means right now if we use violent if we use violent rhetoric flippantly what is that really communicating about the christ in us The author of this article references Psalm 7 as what gives her permission to pray for violence over Putin. I kind of see the Psalms as permission to be honest with my feelings and emotions um, that we have as humans. Feelings and emotions are like data. They give us information and then we make decisions taking in data from a variety of sources. I'm a four on the enneagram i'm very familiar with my feelings and emotions when i let them drive my decisions instead of inform my decisions that's when we have trouble tim tim can you concur as a four i can yes um psalms are a place for honesty and paradoxical feelings and i love that about the psalms but to use it as god's permission for revenge killing it just keeps the horror going trust me i'm horrified by what is happening in ukraine I have family helping on the front lines. This is personal as well as a global hell. Can't there be other options for a solution besides talk or prayer for the killing of Putin or letting him walk all over Ukraine? Is death to Putin uh, real justice slash judgment? Hmm. Oh, what a great set of questions. And and it and it seems like that that idea that we can use violence and rhetoric violent rhetoric i should say against putin rests on a continuum with hey let's just get people saved and not worry about it at the opposite extreme yeah you know what i mean it's like so well, what's, you know what's our-
0: interesting the the with the co- how complex like okay she's a four i'm a four so yes we are our emotions can be um troublesome <laughs> at times if we lean the wrong way on it but not everybody's wired that way and so just with how impossibly complicated of machines or as fiona apple says as an extraordinary (laughs) machine how Mm. um, complex we are that just because of the way that i am emotionally versus you or my wife or someone else we have to assess situations a little bit differently just because Mm. of that that's a really Mm. complicated that's just for one scenario yeah yet we've approached everything of the complexity of scripture and god with just a single simple finite road and it's bananas (laughs)
1: bananas (laughs) b-a-n-a-n-a-s bananas right i agree i agree yes exactly and and so cat I just couldn't agree more with your sentiments i couldn't agree more with your sentiments i (laughs) first of all the imprecatory psalms are not from god right right? this is human people yeah this is human people expressing emotion to god um i don't i'm not aware of any new testament passage certainly not in the life of jesus where jesus encourages prayer of this kind yeah in fact uh, there was something uh, in the ancient world called the law of reciprocity, which is you you do harm to those who harm you, you do good only to those who do good to you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus radically deconstructs both sides of that. So when someone does harm, you return their harm with creative goodness, and that's where he gets into turning the other cheek, which is not being a doormat, you know, going the extra mile and so on. Those are illustrations an of, of honor, shame, personal insult situations where um, you respond with creative goodness and uh, that throws kind of the oppressor off their game and equalizes your dignity to theirs. It's really, really cool stuff. But the big one is, uh, the second one, do we only love people who love us? Yeah. Now, I for sure um, would love to see Putin um, uh, removed from power. No question about it. But I think you're really onto something when you talk about that, stills, that still feels like old creation dynamics, um, that when the people of God turn to um, a, a violent solution as the solution, we're still playing by the same game. Now, I understand the sentiment, certainly. Um, and in self-defense, there are all sorts of scenarios. If I were a Ukrainian, I'd be fighting uh, too um but as as followers of jesus i don't think jesus permits us the option to i, I think we are permitted to express our feelings so I, Kat, i think you're you're nails on that and that's what i see the psalms as permission yeah. to pray those sorts of things but to do that and to say that that's somehow um the kingdom way I just don't i don't reconcile that with hundreds of passages in the prophets and the poets and in the apostles that talk about this different way of engaging people with creative goodness now that doesn't mean the state doesn't have a role to play and i got all that but you know i have two questions but i don't want to cut you off do
0: it well it's too late well let me let me cut you off um one like the emotion thing i think is interesting so with the prayer with these Psalms, praying these things, or you know, pleading these things, or however you want to say that, um, these thoughts Mm -hmm. that you don't act upon,
1: yeah, the feelings, the reactions to the horror and injustice, where someone like me
0: lives, right, in my head, in these emotional mush pots,
1: yeah. Um,
0: how is how does that change with you know, the Sermon on the Mount stuff? The you know, it's 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 all heart. It's not actions, right? It's like the lust in your heart not just not just acting upon your neighbor's wife but coveting your neighbor's wife etc etc those kind of you know that's all thoughts that's all internal Mm -hmm. um elements is that is that not the same thing as mentally venting
1: (laughs) (laughs) no well that's burrow that's such a great question i think we feel how we feel and as you say as a four or as a I don't know if I'm a five, seven, or eight, I've been told each. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we feel we feel what we feel, and we can try to. Um, you know, fight against the initial reactions we have to things, but to some of that that's intrinsic to us. And I, and and I think what the Psalms do is give us permission to take those things to God. The issue yeah. that I have is encouraging people to pray imprecatory Psalms. Totally, that was the, her
0: thing, right? That was the in the email, and
1: yes, is is hey, it's okay if we want to pray imprecatory Psalms over Putin. And and I just want to say, ah, I think that's a that's something we should really reconsider. Yeah. um the the emotive reaction of wanting to see righteousness done of wanting America to get involved of wanting to see you know severe sanctions I mean all of that of course we crowd against the injustice of innocent lives being taken yeah. and this murderous sort of thug uh that seems to be at the head of this agenda um and and certainly in the scriptures, there are very natural human reactions to all those things, but from a pastoral point of view, to say, "Hey guys, this is the posture we should be taking." Let's all pray that his kids are dashed up against the rocks, right. and that you know he is, you know, whatever, uh, using whatever psalm as a template. I just don't see. I don't see the imprecatory psalms as God's words to us. I see them right. as our words to God, which are given permission. So, yeah. so to, to your point, the issue with lust, in the Sermon on the Mount, was it the desire? But it was the right. action that came from the desire, right? Yeah. It was the, that, that was why Jesus redefining lust as coveting was so, so important, because it's not just desiring somebody or wanting uh, to be with somebody, it's that when you turn your will towards acting upon that, yeah. that's when coveting takes place. And so I'm fine with the Psalms as an emotional repository um, of really raw, unfiltered thoughts presented to God. Amen. Amen. Yeah. To yeah, that. I think
0: that's a really that's a really interesting and important distinction.
1: But to those inc- are not
0: God's words. But those are yeah a, a, the opposite direction of the other question I had too was that you know loving your neighbor, loving your enemy. Sorry, I'm thinking of a neighbor when I'm talking about loving my enemy, one of my mm. neighbors. Um. Oh, literally? Yeah. So oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um <laughs> let's say this is hypothetical okay this is totally hypothetical we have a friend i have who is a hypothetical struggling. neighbor
0: um and uh she'll get me pretty riled up and i was thinking about this morning because something happened this morning and mm. um you know there's there's ways to operate that are pretty normal to kind of ostracize be kind of cold to yeah. you know and not loving your enemy not being proactive in in being like a gift giver or forgiving or or being really intentional with loving her. Polite, but distance. Yeah. And just being really intentional, like loving her through her actions, whatever. Um, (laughs) I, I get that. It's difficult for me at times, but I get it. Yeah. Delineating that thing all the way up to a dictator who's killing thousands and then maybe millions is does that scope stay the same? Like loving your enemy, does it just run the gamut where it's just kind of like a black and white topic or when Mm. someone's causing this amount of harm and this amount of Mm. distress and taking lives? Because we are actually getting a lot of questions on this topic Mm -hmm. Um, on Facebook and different places. A lot of people are saying like, I can't, I just can't see this. Like in your Unified series, I understand what you're saying about Existing and loving people that I don't share um, ideas with, but when it comes to somebody who is being causing harm, Mm -hmm. and this on on this level, you know, Mm -hmm. this is catastrophic harm. Mm -hmm. Does that gamut still is it? Does that game still is it run the same still? Loving your enemy.
1: That's a great question. The the images I think that Jesus gives are all in the realm of personal insult. Yeah. So I don't think we're talking about nation state um you know ways of relating (laughs) to other countries or whatever um so so i would say no the gamut isn't the same but what i want to check is my individual impulse to see redemptive violence used That's, that's, that's the impulse. I want to check because we're immersed in the myth of redemptive violence. So the imprecatory Psalms are kind of a caving in at least the way they're encouraged being used in this scenario. It's a way of caving into the very natural impulse to harm for harm. And I'm not saying from a nation state level, um, what our military response should be or whatever. I totally understand that. But for for me to wish harm upon people right. is not a habit I want to get into, and it seems yeah. antithetical to the kingdom. Totally, but I do have very natural responses, and those natural responses are all ingrained towards violence, yeah. towards somebody like this. Yeah. And so, if if I found out that um, the nation state had acted in ways that were congruent with protecting the people of Ukraine, I would I would personally cheer that. Yeah um but what i would not pastorally do is encourage people to wish violence upon people who with whom uh they have severe severe distaste and so i don't um i don't see um in the example of jesus permission to lead with that although we feel it and it can take that to god absolutely i have no issue with that absolutely god i i pray that you would just Take this person out, and I pray that you would you know, redeem and restore and rescue. And why do you allow this? I think all of that is permitted. It's just whether or not that's encouraged as the ideal for kingdom life. Totally. I'm trying to think of what other questions on this that people – I feel like we got a
0: bunch of them in the last couple weeks. Because this has been a really interesting thing to struggle with. Yeah. I was even thinking about it in terms of like when we were talking about in the new creation stuff with sin – and hell and that kind of stuff. And we were talking about the judgment that happens now. Yeah. Like what if you just prayed like, yo, God. Yeah. Let's get a little bit of that here and now judgment for.
1: Yeah. Mr. May, he, may he reap what he's sown. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I just think it's it's dangerous to hold up words of permission as <clears throat> words of this is what's encouraged.
0: No, I think that's really good. I think that's a really, it's a posture thing. It and absolutely not, and is. not just sitting in that same spot all the time. It's the same thing as the, um, the sexual harassment and, um, the, the Canadian pastor guy, like a lot of that stuff sits in kind of the same place of like power mm-hmm. over and, and kind of saying, this is how I dictate all of these different relationships should mm-hmm. run. And this is how all these people should be treated. And this is my role within that right as the right the power there's so much of that seems to always come down to jesus pushing back on people exerting power over other
1: people that's right exactly right and he embodies a completely different kind of power
0: yeah which i can see why that's so frustrating if you're only looking for power over to have a guy come and show up as the savior and be like yo i'm gonna take the
1: absolutely (laughs) if he showed up if he showed up with the American expectations we have of Messiah, we'd we'd reject him in the same way that Jews oh, did. Sure.
0: When we keep putting Trump's head on Rocky Balboa's body and riding horses with machine guns and <laughs> those are I thought those riding. were
1: na- I thought those were natural photographs.
0: Oh well I hate to break it to you. Oh,
1: I had no idea. They're All right. Not. Timothy. Well what does it mean to be saved, Mike? Well, that's where we're headed, buddy. And did you did you see the notes? Did you yeah, see him, I'm Timothy? Right so, um, nine pages of single-spaced notes. Um, <laughs> the one I have is 15 pages. Yeah, I cut that down to nine. Um, <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. And, and here I'm channeling all my favorites. Um, uh, Scott McKnight, The King Jesus Gospel, Inti uh, Wright, the day of the revolution began D. Snyder D Snyder. We're not going to take it anymore. Uh, Michael sweet from striper to hell with the devil. <laughs> um, Amy Grant, El Shaddai, which was kind of a war song or baby, baby. Um, yeah. Which when she crossed over, she was a pagan and I boycotted. Um, no, I didn't boycott. I didn't really pay attention to Amy Grant. I'm sorry. Um, yeah so so oh gombas gombas has done some work on romans that has been really illuminating so there's a bit of that in here so per usual channeling people much smarter usual suspects the usual suspects beverly gaventis i think is her name i i think i'm mispronouncing that but it's um she wrote a book on romans that uh gombas recommended that i read and was like dude come on man So this is a mishmash of stuff maybe for the last five years or so I've been learning. And it's been really fun to try to simplify into nine pages of notes. (laughs) All those books? Oh, yes. It's just, I mean, and again, this, here's what's great about what we do, Timothy. I'm on a journey, which would make a great name for a church and um (laughs) as i'm learning and growing and becoming more committed to the text and taking it more seriously and taking my enacted and embodied loyalty to jesus more seriously in the world the the world just keeps getting bigger it's the national park metaphor that gombas uses right the world just keeps getting larger and so that's what salvation has been for me. And if you if you remember last week, we told the kingdom of God story. Yeah. If you tell the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, as um, Jesus has come to fulfill a sin debt that we could not pay because God is just and holy, um, and in return we swap um, my righteousness or His righteousness for my sinfulness. And as a result, now, I am embraced in the heavens when I That's die. a
0: compelling metaphor because as Americans, we're all in debt.
1: That is a very compelling metaphor. Absolutely. Someone, someone paid all my credit card debt. Boom. That's right. <laughs> um, and uh, when you tell that story and you come to Paul's summation of the grammar of the gospel when he says it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works, so that no one can boast those four words grace saved faith and works take on a certain kind of meaning in that story but the story that jesus is referring to when he announces the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of god is ha- is at hand um, when when that story is told, and that's what we spent last episode doing, when that story is told, um, faith, grace, saved, and works mean something very different, um, and and we just want to explore those differences. So yeah. you know, saved for me meant as growing up, and I'm sure for you too, Tim. Um, saved meant going to heaven when I die. Yeah, correct. Yep. What's fascinating is is Paul uses three tenses when it comes to salvation. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. And I was never able to (laughs) reconcile the old um, salvation as something that happens then in heaven, or then in the future there in heaven, um, with the fact that Paul tenses salvation in that interesting way. Yeah. So we're gonna tell a long story of salvation, and I'll try to uh, keep it interesting and compelling, um, uh, and be faithful to the texts as we go. I don't even know. I don't. I don't even know if we'll get through it, to be honest. So we'll <laughs> we'll give it a shot. I got nowhere to be. That's true. Although, are you an NCAA fan? You're not, right? You don't watch the March Madness. I don't. Yeah, shocker. Um it's okay. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Baseball's no about to start though. Yep. Yeah. That's a perfect sport for someone like yourself.
0: It really is. I yes. love it with all of my
1: heart. I know you do. And I'm I'm happy for the baseball fans that are back. <laughs> that it's back and, and I'm happy that you, you guys have something that you can focus on. Yeah. You know, for the next several months before Do you think it's wrong to pray that the Dodgers fall apart? Well, per our previous conversation, Tim, yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, I pray against the Wolverine quite regularly. Okay, all right. Um, as an Ohio State fan, but <laughs> let us not tarry, Tim, Sorry. in the snappy banter. It was actually a very real theological question. Oh, okay. I was Praying pretty hard against them last
0: night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. So let's tell a salvation story. Or Let's. at least the salvation story that start, that the Bible, I think, more faithfully renders. And we start, of course, in Genesis chapter one. <laughs> Shocker in the beginning. in the beginning. And in Genesis 1, we meet Elohim, um, who is, is a being of such power that his word carries weight and uh, is a being of such intelligence that he takes chaos and forms it and fills it with a um, a, a one-week sabbath cycle of six days of work and one week of rest he brings order out of chaos and creates something that has vast potential for meaning and beauty and on the the final day of his work um God says uh let us make humanity in our image and in our likeness. Now we just have to stop right there because image and likeness as we've talked about before are temple words and kingly words. All right? So, in the ancient near east, you would have the understanding was the gods would be embodied in the kings of the nations. And they, the, sometimes the kings would be named after the gods, but they would be the embodiment of the gods. And they would erect temples around their areas of authority. And in those temples, there would often be a garden. Um, uh, and around the garden and, and throughout the temple would be statues of the king that were images of the king who was imaging the invisible God. <laughs> right? So, so it was it was a double whammy, yes. It was the it was the image and likeness are what the the words that are used to describe the relationship between the statue and the king and the king and the god and so um uh there it's a kingly idea that image and um image and likeness represent authority mm. but it's also priestly because this seems to be the images, image and likenesses res, uh, resided in temples. And the flavor of Genesis 1 and 2 is of creation being God's temple with a garden at the center. And image-bearing creatures being placed at the center. So a king who places images, royal images, of the king in temples. That's what the human beings turn out to be. So there's kingly work and priestly work. Right? Kingly because it literally says, uh, let us make human beings in our image and likeness so that they may rule yeah. over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then it's priestly because in chapter 2, um, the, the humans are uh, given work. Chapter 2 in verse 8, um, it says, let's see if, let me find it real quick. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the East in Eden, and there he put the human he had formed right in image and likeness. So here's the garden temple idea. And, and then in verse 15, the Lord God took the human and put him, although he's not a gendered male at this point, okay. put him in the garden to work it and take care of it now here's what's fascinating work it and take care of it turn out to be temple words that describe a priest's work as worship all right literally um the words can be translated to worship and obey right they're used in numbers to describe the work of the priests and levites Right? so these are hugely important words that paul uses in fact in romans when he is talking about recovering us to our original vocation original vocation consisted of being image bearers and of working and take caring of the garden but these words were these words were envisioned as the the summation of the totality of human life and result in, as we'll see in a little bit, in in the human vocation of image-bearing, which is also called in the Bible, worship. Worship is not the 20 minutes of singing we do. Worship is the orientation of the human towards God, um, towards others, and towards creation, whereby the human fulfills his or her vocation in being an image-bearer. All right? So the totality of human life not just the religious parts, the full embodied human life of eating and drinking and sexing and, um, and playing and laughing and working. That whole thing was image bearing. Yeah. And it was to be done under the reign of God, just like we talked about with the kingship story last week, right? The reign of God, imaging God to creation and imaging creation back to God. Right, so, so you have priestly and royal. You have, you have ruling language. So it's the king story, but it's the priestly story that we're going to focus on this week. Yeah. It's the idea that we're the to work it and to take care of it, which are worship words. Now, worship, again, isn't cultic sacrificial system. Worship is the totality of human life when humans rightly relate to God as image bearers. Make sense? Yeah.
0: It's a whole tangent. Do it. No, but someday we
1: should. Okay, well, just what's the first sentence of the tangent?
0: Well, I'm just always trying to figure out what worship should be at church. If we're going to continue the church model... It's the whole thing. I know.
1: No, there's nothing. We have singing, we have listening, we have conversing, that whole... but, But... but worship is, it's like spiritual warfare. It's its all of it. How how do you, um, spiritual warfare I thought was just praying against the devil. Yeah. But spiritual warfare is anytime we resist the powers and principalities that govern human life and what's called normal. Anytime we do the opposite of that, that's spiritual warfare. Right? Yeah. So too with worship. Worship is is the image-bearing vocation of working and playing and sexuality and all the things that make us fully human when they're rightly oriented um, under God and towards each other for the flourishing of creation.
0: Yeah, and that's what I mean, like embodying that intentionally as worship, not just because I think our, our scope of worship is so small and it is a handful of often nonsensical songs right oh. um being intentional as if you're building a new church and you're like this is what worship is going to be in this church i think it would just it would just
1: it provokes an interesting conversation about what that would entail. absolutely not only that but you see already the splits that have damaged us the idea yes. that there is a religious or spiritual part of our lives and then there's just being human yeah that is that has been toxic Yeah, And it has been the fuel that the previous salvation story has run on. Totally. I am this body of flesh that is sinful in all of its desires, and God's desire is to rescue my soul from this body of death.
0: Yeah, and then we take that out and
1: throw that on everybody else. Yes, so that my body is unimportant in the salvation story, and as it turns out, that's not true at all. Yeah. The salvation story is the salvation of us as embodied creatures. Yeah. Um, because our image bearing is embodied that's the point to be embodied is to be an image bearer right right you can't be a (laughs) you can't be an image bearer as a just a soul floating out in the ether
0: yeah right that's important because that is a huge i mean that is we uh, there's a large section of our understanding that does decry the physical aspect of all of this and yes
1: that and that is so tragic. And you get that yeah. in sex. That's why you, you and, and also misunderstanding of power and church and all those sorts of things lead to all of these nefarious goings on, no yeah. question about it. But it starts here. Yeah. It starts here. Um that and that's what the Gnostics taught: that Jesus wasn't embodied because to be embodied was to be evil. Right. So so there's so much of John's writing. And a little bit of Paul's that really, well, not a little bit, a lot of Paul's that goes after Gnostic teaching, but we still have Gnostic hangovers 2,000 years later. (laughs) That's what Puritan culture is. That's what purity culture is, right? It's the split of the good part of me from the bad part of me. And the bad part's my flesh, and the good part is my soul. Yeah. And so that is not at all the story the scripture tells about what salvation is, where it starts, where the problems begin, and how, how salvation is the restoration of our humanity in mm. its embodied form. That's why the end of the story is so important that we have resurrected bodies and a new heavens and a new earth because image bearing means to be embodied. So the, so the rescue is the rescue of the body as well and of yeah. creation itself. Yeah. So I mean, you can camp here forever, forever, and 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 <laughs> and we are going to do a Genesis series as I've threatened before. <laughs> I think it'd be great. Even I mean, I'd
0: love a tangential series on all that worship stuff because I think it's really important. And also the powers and principalities which I keep pushing because I think that stuff is.
1: Well, a somebody's key piece back of the from Chick Fil A, and hi. And it, has, I
0: have a
1: boo boo. Yeah, Day Mike has a boo boo on his head. Yep, no question about that. Thank you, son. All right, so let's, hey, buddy, let's eat our Chick fil A and then you can come and say goodbye to everybody, okay? Yeah. All right. My daughter's abandoning me. We are at the mercy of Seth. There it is. All right, so um, to sum up. <laughs> The embodied humans are to image a a communal God in community. So image bearing doesn't exist by yourself. That's the big point. That's why male and female are required to fully image God. And And it's in their inner relationship that the imaging takes place.
0: That's a great pull quote. The communal God is to be imaged in community.
1: That's right. Well, that's just that there's no other way to do it. Yeah. Um, and that therefore our salvation has to be, um, something that's corporate too. Yeah, that's great. because our image bearing is corporate. And that's why, that's why the whole male and female thing is such a big deal that, that God, the gendered part there isn't, you know, when well, we can get into all the fascinating gender debates, but the gendered part here is a way of expressing the communal nature of God. Hmm and um so this undifferentiated male that we keep meeting the man or um ha adam which means just the human um gets split and it gets gendered and um at the end of chapter two into male and female and then they reunite sexually as one flesh Mm -hmm. and that is almost this reunited that differentiation and sameness that that push and pull if you will is uh, is imaging uh, of God as well. So sexuality takes on this this image-bearing function way beyond procreation. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I mean, there's just, there's so much stuff here, all right? <laughs> this all, this all happens. <laughs> it's, it's too bad people don't get the visual because you just got giddy. <laughs> <laughs> this all happens in two chapters, ladies and gentlemen. And then, and then in chapter 3, we read about a talking snake. Now, that, that was a very common trope in the ancient Near East. I have no idea if this is just a trope that was being used or right. whatever. But the important point for our purposes is that there's an exchange made here. So I'm going to read the relevant text. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And all those have really important meanings in the story. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, whether you take this story as literally happening or some sort of mythic trope, the idea is instead of imaging the invisible God through worship and obey, They now image the serpent because the serpent comes to them and says, God is holding out on you. God is not to be trusted. Um, And so now, instead of exercising rulership over creation and saying to the serpent, no, they now listen to the serpent and obey the serpent and thereby image him Hmm. or it. Now, that's a really, really big point. The, Paul is going to make hay with this in Romans. The idea that we've exchanged uh, the image of the immortal God for images made of created things. That's, That's when funny. this first happens. It's really interesting. See, I, if worship is the totality of human <clears throat> life as image bearers, idolatry is that mode of life where image bearing becomes, where, where, humans, where humans image something other yeah. than God. And, oh, so, I mean, and this is the <laughs> story of the Bible. All right. So, in Genesis 12, God begins to restore. He begins this work of redemption um, as an effort to renew and restore the situation that was lost in Genesis 3, to recover humanity and to recover its vocation, human- humanity's vocation. We're still, we're still image-bearing. But we're not image bearing in the way that God intended. We can't help but image something. Right. Right. That's a part of what it is. And there, therefore, our rulership is corrupted, right? Towards each other, right? This is when it first manifests, towards each other and towards creation. Um, we now image other things and become transformed into the image of those other things. And so, you know, if you've given yourself over um, to sexual desire, you become lustful. Right? right, giving yourself over to money, you become greedy. Yeah. Like like worship is transformative no matter who it is you're imaging. Yeah. Right? So if if you know we all have certain heroes and we learn to image those heroes.
0: Yeah. And um, that's where the a lot of that sin um, definitions come in and getting caught in those cycles
1: and then how repentance yes. is a reposturing out. Right. Right. So sin isn't the root issue. Right. Now we're enslaved Paul says to sin and death. Sin is a cosmic power even in Genesis um, 4 I believe sin Yahweh tells Cain that sin is seeking to master Cain. Hmm. He speaks of it as if it has agency and power which is weird and mind-blowing. Yeah, we'll talk more a about that. Series, huh? Yes.
0: Yeah. What's up Michael Heiser get over here.
1: I know, right? Dang. Um, so, so the picture we get is not of sin as bad moral choices, but of sin as image bearing gone awry, a life of worship that is imaging something other than the creator God. And because of that, human bodies and beings are broken and degraded. Ooh, so all of this has embodied consequence. Dang, it's so good. So good. All right. And and I'm skipping so much. (laughs) And that that is why in the Bible, it's so important that Jesus was fully human. Jesus comes as the image bearer, the only one. As the full and complete image bearer. Right? So that's why he renders back to God the true human vocation that humans were given that's why you know when it says he was dependent upon the father and he listened to the father and he was obedient to the father all like that is what fully human looks like right there
0: it's interesting i think we talked about this in the sermon on the mount series or i can't remember where i asked this question or i had this thought of like whether or not jesus experienced a lustful thought but did not act upon it you know, or, or experience, you know what I mean? It was yeah. that part of being fully human remember, was him. Remember, a
1: lustful thought means to act on it. Okay. So if you're asking that if Jesus experienced sexual desire, of course he did. Okay, that's what i that, absolutely. Yes, that's what asked. Absolutely.
0: So, well, because I think we, we pedestal in a, in a weird, very specific way who Jesus is as a human. Right. And then it loses all of its humanness. He loses all the human aspect of, of who he is. Right And choosing out of things or what it means to be an image bearer there means you're choosing right. not to image something yes. else. But there's a choice there that
1: takes right. place. He's so not when, just an automaton that like. No, 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 no. I am no, God absolutely. in flesh. So he was tempted in every way. And yeah. what does temptation mean? It just simply means subject to desires that aren't in yeah. alignment with the kingdom. Right. But, but this is why the image word is so important is because Paul will say later he is the image of the invisible God. He is the first human that imaged Yahweh perfectly. Yeah. right. In Hebrews it will say he is the exact representation of God's being. So Jesus isn't teaching us what it looks like to go to heaven. Jesus is teaching us what it, what it looks like to be a human, fully human, fully human. image yeah. bearer. And that's why Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount deal with things like anger and lust, contempt, and oath-taking, and divorce, and (laughs) adultery, right? Because because in our embodied humanness, these are all the things that we're wrestling with. And he comes inviting us to take up the original vocation again. See, this is not being religious, because being religious, I don't even know what that word means anymore, Right? This is what it is to be fully human, to image God, is to embody the character of Yahweh uh, as, as embodied in Christ. Right? So the king creates uh, image bearers. But the only successful image bearer was Jesus. Now, now, Adam and Eve were to be image bearers. They were image bearers. And then Israel was to be an image bearer. They were given that corporate vocation as well. Yeah. And that vocation for them was tied into the same land that Adam and Eve had once dwelled in, yeah. right? Not the garden specific, but that's the promised land has always been, um, yeah, in, in the mythic history of, um, or the, the mythic imagination of the Bible. It's always been the garden of Eden. That, that's where the promise then has always been the garden of right. Eden, even though we're barred from the, the, the core of it you know, according to the end of Genesis 2. But all that is to say, the idea that Jesus comes as the true image, that is a mind-blowing picture. He's not coming as the sacrifice, although, yes, he is sacrificed. And the Bible does use that language, no question about it. He does come as somebody who um, is righteously obedient, no question about that. But that isn't the focal point of the story. The focal point of the story is that he images God. Yeah, So he's so much more compelling it is so much more compelling which means my following jesus is learning to image god too in all my embodied humanness yes so my embodied humanness can't just be a list of no my embodied hum- humanness is a list of yes Right? There are bounded and healthy boundary parts to being human, right? Because yeah. my desires are often disordered. But yeah. the more I image Jesus, the more I'm actually transformed into his likeness. And again, likeness, that's a word from Genesis. Yeah. So so this is the story the Bible is telling. And you see how it relates to the king story, right? Yes. The king, Yahweh is king. This is all about imaging the king. Yeah. So when he says the kingdom of God has come near in him, he is not only the King; he images the King perfectly. And those who take upon themselves the mode of life of allegiance to Yahweh image Jesus as image as Jesus images the Father. Yeah,
0: it's very interesting because I, I, you know, you think of John three sixteen and that being the driving force of a lot of our you know, to use that word again, religious work over the last few decades. And then when you take John three seventeen, right after that, and they did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And when you run all of that through this, right. It just has such a tremendous different
1: Well, yeah, it depends on the story you're telling. If you're telling the yeah. old story, then believing um in John three sixteen um, and being saved have to do with some legal transaction that takes place in the heavens. Yeah. Um, but I think the story John is telling now he uses different words. He uses words like eternal life, but even um, that
0: though that 's like uh, to not to condemn it i mean it 's just the the next sentence <laughs> it's like the because a transactional thing is a condemnation it 's a you 're condemning the state that somebody 's in that you 're going to take them from. It's a right. condemnation inherently with how that is presented. Yep. Just so to follow the next sentence with, not to condemn but to save the world through him, and then what is him to take that back through? What we learn in, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's wild where we are. It but is I think wild. This is, I think this is just so much more
1: compelling, and
0: well, it I, makes
1: it, it 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 extinguishes. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it 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 disintegrates the distinction we make between evangelism and discipleship. Those are so arbitrary. Yes.
0: No, I think that's so key. I, that's why I keep asking as we're going through those series, like what is evangelism now? What is evangelism now? Because It doesn't make sense in this framework.
1: Evangelism is a communal mode of life where progressively we are learning to image Christ as Christ images the father. In ways that stand in distinction from the culture around us and invite scrutiny <laughs> but but you know when when we were going over the miserable musings, that's just imaging the rest of culture right we're just imaging the same understandings of power and sex and um you know, the, and and none of that is compelling. So evangelism is a communal mode of life, in the same way worship is.
0: Just to add on to the long list of um, series that I want to put on your plate, I still like I <laughs> like when just this short conversation about the humanness of Jesus, I think is so interesting, and it's not something that we were ever. Jesus is only, you know, we we understand Jesus as this. Human deity, whatever, right. but we only have ever really understood the deity of it. The only human aspect of Jesus that we've ever understood has been the death. Right. Or that he was born and that he died. And that's it. Right. But like the flesh and blood Jesus, I feel like that is not, this is what our entire belief system hangs on yeah. is this individual. And we do not, I don't think, understand the full flesh and blood aspect of what that means at yeah. all. And I would yeah. I would love to sit in there and understand like what who is the human Jesus and yeah. how does that human Jesus reflect the deity Jesus. I think it's just a it's a weird, crazy, mysterious, wondrous <laughs> thing that I don't think we know at all. And right. I would like to.
1: So do will you do that please? Yeah, I'll go right on that. Thanks. Dang. <laughs> all right, buddy, we're an hour. All right. Sorry. Um, I can do one more section, but there's no way I can do the rest of it.
0: Well, what's the is the next section? Does it feel like a a breaking point section?
1: Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, um, <laughs> this is, we've gotten through two pages.
0: It's hard. I mean, you made the joke at the beginning. It's like this is all of this stuff that you condense to nine pages. Yeah. So every sentence that you bring up
1: is like, uh, well, how about this? Right. How about this? Right. So Gombus makes a big deal out of Psalm eight and I never considered it um, in the way that he uses it. Uh, Psalm eight uh, reads this way. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, What is humanity that you are mindful of them? What are human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, all that swim the uh, path of the seas. Now, this, this phrase, glory and honor, so the psalmist is obviously retelling the Genesis story and, um, and describes the ruling commission that they were given as image bearers, right? Um, you, you made humans rulers over the works of your hands, right? That's the Genesis 1 and 2 vocation. But he attaches the words glory and honor to that vocation. All right, That we were to be the glory of God and the honor of God as image bearers. So, so and, and these two words, so, so being the glory of God, being the image of God, and being the honor of God, um, that's what it means to be truly human. So he's expanded, the psalmist has a little bit of our understanding of, he's used two other religious words that have a lot of weight, glory and honor. And then, and then, use them to describe the vocation that the psalmist is referring to, back to Genesis one and two. Make sense? Yeah. So um, the psalmist tells the same story: we're being made in God's image, and that image bearing is being crowned with glory and honor. That's what it means to be image bearing by the psalmist: to be crowned with glory and honor, and and that, and in that vocation, we are to rule over all that has been made for its flourishing that's so our image bearing is tied to creation all right and that's why paul in romans 8 says that when human beings um you know gave up their vocation that creation itself suffers and is awaiting the redemption of the sons of god um and which means our fall and the creation's fall were tied together because our benevolent rule was corrupted, therefore, creation itself was corrupted. Hmm. And instead of flourishing now, we see what's happening. Um, our, our, our corruption and its corruption parallel each other.
0: Man, that's another tangential. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot so, in there.
1: So, so I just want to draw the point that um, in the Psalms, imaging language is tied with glory and honor language right all of that language speaks to the one reality where humanity is playing the role in creation as the glory of god the image of god and we're we're imaging god into creation and imaging back creation to god yeah right makes sense so far yeah and again glory and honor are often worship words um which which and again they're used to describe the entire human embodied Mm -hmm. vocation not just the words that we sing or say or our cultic practices at the temple, right? So the whole vocation was given the title glory and honor, right? And so salvation looks like the restoration of glory and honor because glory and honor are a way of describing the image bearing that has been corrupted. Makes sense so far? Yeah. When we get to Romans, and we're not going to do Romans right now, Um, we're over an hour uh, and we're on page three, Paul is going to pull forward all of these words, glory, honor, exchange, um, to unpack what salvation ends up meaning. Um, and, uh, you know, the salvation ends up meaning the salvation and restoration of our true humanness. Uh, so that we are returned, and again we always say this, but the issue isn't at the end of the Old Testament, how is God going to forgive all these souls and get them to heaven? The issue of the Old Testament is what are we going to do now that Israel is corrupt and has has is no longer committed to their original vocation? and um, and in that mix, Jesus comes as the perfect image, the perfect human. There are three sons of God in the old testament adam was called the son of god israel was called the son of god and now jesus comes as the son of god who succeeds where the other two fail so the so in jesus our full humanity is restored and that's where paul will use all sorts of transformation and image language to describe what it is to now follow or indwell the community of this jesus that is his embodied presence on earth. And so you just have it all tied beautifully together. <laughs> it's a <red> bow. <laughs> Yeah. And how do you tell this story? Like we had a question several episodes ago, how do you tell this story in like an elevator the pitch? Elevator pitch. Yeah. Right. And there are ways to do it, right? No question about it. But if we really want to it, talk but... about, if we really want to talk about what salvation is, it has to include all of these elements so (laughs) we'll push forward next week into romans um and into revelation and summarize it and then we'll go well then we'll go (laughs) to uh into what what what's the converse what are we saved from right because the the old story has us being saved from hell right because we go to heaven um and how does this story understand hell talk and destruction talk and like you know eternal suffering talk um i think that's a really important thing to get into also so we're on our first word saved part one of saved and it'll be a three-part series part two will deal with romans and then um and revelation and then the next part will be um what are we saved from and how does that work on this telling of the story a lot of saving boom a lot of saving well we need it yeah and and i just find it so so important that the issue in the bible then isn't sin management how do i get you to sin less right the issue is identity and image bearing management right how how do you begin to live into your vocation as an image bearer of course that plays out in embodied actions that we call behavior. Yeah, but so much more full. Yes. Yes. You know, so when I talk to my kids about sex or drinking or whatever, the goal isn't don't or do. The goal mm-hmm. is let's have a human relate a healthy human relationship with these things that exist in the world and have power. Yeah. You know, and that's going to look different based on the kid. Yeah. And um So anyway, I mean, it just raises all sorts of... Which it should, obviously. Well, you'd think. With
0: every different human being on the planet (laughs) in every different time period. I keep thinking about the the thing you said about how did you word it with uh, uh, who we are as image bearers and rulers imaging God versus imaging... Something in creation. And how that... But how that has... Like how we are as like our works or managing God's works and now we're managing the works this way and the effects that that has, man, I mean, you think about that in the most obvious sense environmentally, but when you start to think about just the conversation we were having on war and that kind of stuff, like all of that is just different manifestations of that and it just makes a lot of sense.
1: Well, and the religious impulse is a manifestation of that, right? The religious impulse, we can't help but image something yeah and so the the problem with the religious impulse is that it doesn't image the true god it images our attempts to control yeah right absolutely the true god and um and so that's what becomes fasting and to control each other yeah. so it becomes a you know often another power game all right seth come here buddy <laughs> so one of the things that seth has heard me say over and over on the podcast oh i need to thank some people it's all gone i totally forgot <laughs> Right? I want to yeah. thank some people yeah. who have joined. Uh we are a nonprofit 501c3 community, and my goodness, we are beyond ridiculously blessed to have people continually coming into that community. Deanna, Emily, and Chris, um in our Tithely community, tithe.ly. And then um Scott, who I met was traveling through Nashville, one of our listeners. Uh, took me out to breakfast and um, what? Uh, yeah, I know, right? And then uh, me. and then joined our Patreon team Seth. and then of course, Seth Thomas Charles it. Erie. Now, Bob. one of the things I say um, as we close our episodes is you know, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and these days give you peace. Seth has semi-memorized this and has his own version. So Seth would you want to do your prayer over everybody as we close? Yeah, yeah, let's do it, boy. Brothers hold on, hold on. He has his hand lifted up, yeah. his eyes closed, and he starts with brothers and sisters. I love it. Pres- Make sure the mic is where he can. Yes, 유- is, is what you're doing. Wam- is it a- can- Bas- to give you. We moved up, moved up the to you. So we're hos- for hoos- horse pairs. Yes! 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 I love you! Thanks, Seth. Seth Thomas, you're the
0: Hey,
1: Seth! The and there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Seth Thomas, Charles, and I are Bob. now, Bob, are now... <laughs> We're going to image some NCAA March Madness. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, um, friends, thank you. And uh, we'll continue the story next episode.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash voxologypodcast and on Instagram at Voxologypodcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.